the middle of a teaching series on this book of 1 Peter called Resilient Hope in a Restless World. And the idea is that this, this whole backdrop, this whole mega theme of the entire book of 1 Peter is this idea of restlessness. The author, uh, the Apostle Peter, he's writing to a group of Christians who are just feeling restless in this world. They're going through suffering. And the idea is just because you have hope and joy in the gospel does not mean that you are now exempt from uh, trials. It doesn't mean that you are now not going to grieve through various trials, as Peter says. It doesn't mean that your heart won't grow restless at times. Now, how many of us are feeling restless this year? Any hands? I think a lot of us can really resonate with that. You see, what's, what's though remarkable about this letter is how Peter doesn't just fill his, his letter to these Christians with words of comfort, uh, although comfort is a big theme. He doesn't just fill it with comfort as though that's all that they need. But his purpose is actually to point them to their calling. Isn't that interesting? Like he could be filling to all these suffering Christians, he could be filling this letter with words of comfort. But it appears that his primary purpose is to remind them of their calling. We're going to find those marching orders, the summary of his calling in the middle of chapter 2. And we've seen these last week and the week before that. Uh, But basically, in the middle of chapter 2, Peter reminds us that we're to live our lives as though we're sojourners and exiles. In other words, we are just passing through. Don't treat this world uh, and and the possessions of this world, don't treat it as all that you have because it's not. This world's going to pass away. It's going to be reborn. Uh, We're made for a future reality. And and the second part of our calling is that we're to fight like soldiers. Fight like a good soldier because uh, there's a war that is being waged on the terrain of our hearts uh, for for who we will give ourselves to. And, And lastly, we're to serve like an ambassador. In other words, we're to represent Christ in his kingdom in every sphere of life that we, we, we find ourselves in. Now, last week, we looked at how that fleshes out, how those three, three things flesh out in our relationship with authority, specifically governing authority. But this week, Peter's going to apply that outward-oriented lifestyle, the, the lifestyle of a sojourner, a soldier, and an ambassador. He's going to take that outward-oriented lifestyle on mission and apply it to the issue of suffering. I want you to see what he says here in verse 18. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. All right, now now this is one of those passages of scripture that can just kind of have a scratch in our head sometimes, right? Like, in fact, uh, many have abused verses just like this to oppress others. Like, it's been used as an argument for institutional slavery, for example. But all genuine Christians agree that the words in this passage are inspired and authoritative. They're the word of God written and preserved for our good. And so how then do we make sense of this? 
Because obviously we know that the Bible speaks against institutional slavery. We know that Christians have highly that contributed to the abolition of institutional uh, slavery in our, our, our recent history. So how do we make sense of verses like this? What relevance does a passage like this actually have to us today? And understand that we need to see that the type of servanthood that is spoken of here is, is very different from it's far removed from the slavery uh, that has left a dark mark on our nation's history. It's a very different kind of thing being spoken of. You see, in the days, in the first century and in the days of the Roman Empire, like anywhere between a third and a half of the people were servants of some kind, had masters of some kind. It was so, so being a servant or even a, a slave uh, was a diverse and large category. Now, the Bible talks about servanthood in at least two categories, in two different ways. First, it's, it, it's what we would call slave trading, all right? <clears throat> slave trading. Uh, there's a number of, of places in the New Testament where slave trading is called out as a sin, as one of the things that evildoers do. Uh, slave trading is usually the type of slavery that we, we think of uh, when, 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 he, when we hear that word slavery. It's usually racially motivated or it's class motivated, like maybe the lower class is enslaved by the, the, the upper class. Um, it, it's usually a lifetime status, right? Like once you become uh, this kind of slave, then you are enslaved until uh, either you die or your owner says so. It also means uh, under slave trading that slaves didn't have legal rights, and uh, even, even a slave's children are passed on to the master. Now, this was more than just unjust slave trading. It's flat out wrong and sinful. It is unbiblical. Like I mentioned just a moment ago, a few different places in the scriptures, uh, it, it, it specifically calls out slave trading uh, as an act of evil against God. You see, because slave trading is not only dismissive, to the person. It's also dismissive to the God who made that person and loves them. The Bible teaches us that all human beings are created uh, equal and in the image of God. We bear his image. And so all, since all humans bear the image of God, that means that we're all uh, born uh, worthy of dignity and respect and honor. <laughs> And so that's the first category of slave trading that we, or of, of slavery that we usually think of. The second category is, is, what, um, is what is sometimes called bond servanthood. Bond servants are, and, and so when in bond servanthood, uh, this is not a, a type of servanthood that was not limited to, um, to race. It was not limited to class. It was not a lifetime arrangement. Usually you, you would have rights that were protected by the law. As a matter of fact, sometimes a bond servant would have just as much money as, as his or her master, or sometimes they'd be even more educated than, than his or, or her master. Bond service was usually related to something like a business opportunity. Think of like an internship, right? Like, like saying, hey, I'm going to work for you uh, to learn what I, I need to learn from you about this trade. Uh, and, and when I learn enough from you, then I'm going to leave and do my own thing. Or I'm going to leave and open up uh, another branch of, of, of your business. Um, or, or 
or uh, like bond service was also related to um, something like educational opportunities, right? Like think of the military and their GI Bill, right? Hey, if you serve with us for um, what, like four to five years, like we'll, we'll pay for your uh, college tuition, right? And so, and so that that's that's the idea that is being talked of here. And this is the kind of servanthood that Peter is speaking into. Now, critics of the Bible, they like to say, they look like to look at verses like this and say, see, this is an oppressive book. It's telling servants and slaves to obey their masters, even if they're being like unfair and unjust. Like, no, that's not what the Bible's saying. It's, it's, it's more, it's more like just because you met Jesus doesn't mean that you don't have to finish your internship, right? <laughs> like that's more what it's saying. Now, I think something else that kind of rubs us the wrong way and that sort of shocks us is how Peter seems to be calling servants to submit to their master when it seems like he should be saying, hey, servants, don't listen to your masters because, because you need to be free. They don't own you. You need to be free. But, but look, that might even be true. But his point here, Peter's point here is not to talk about the rightness of the system. His point is about how to live with Christian character when you already find yourself in the middle of the system. He's talking about how can we be a witness, ambassadors for the gospel uh, in, in the places that God has sovereignly placed us. And so that's why he says, look, be respectful, not just to those masters who are gentle and good, but to those who are unjust. Because the idea here is that suffering and trials are going to be something that we go through like no matter what. It might come through servanthood. It might come from the workplace. It might come from uh, just at the hands of other people, maybe relatives or friends or neighbors or I don't know, what, just whatever situation you find yourself in. And the issue is how are we going to respond with Christian character in the middle of those? Now, what I want us to unpack now for the rest of our time is some important and biblical principles on, on suffering that will help us uh, live like a sojourner, fight like a soldier, and represent hope like an ambassador. And so the first thing I want us to see, uh, beginning in verse 19, is that suffering is just a central part of our calling. All right? Suffering is a central part of our calling. It says in verse 19, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now, I want you to notice something. He called something a gracious thing. What was it that he called a gracious thing? He calls when one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. That's gracious? That's what he calls a gracious thing. Like, is, is, isn't that fascinating? Like, he says that our suffering is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What does he mean by that? Now, the word there for gracious is this Greek word, charis, charis, which is the classical word that we see all throughout the New Testament for the word grace. Now, how can this be related to grace? I think one way to think of it that, that, that's helpful is that when we're truly surrendered to the Lord, then really no critic and no oppressor could ever hold us down, right? Like when your heart is fully surrendered to the Lord, then there is nothing that you can lose that will destroy you because you already know that you have everything that you need in Christ. And we talked about this a little bit last week, right? Like even if they threaten to take your power, 
You have real power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Even if they threaten to take your dignity, you have real dignity, a real ironclad identity as a son or daughter of the living God. You see, you have all of that only if you've tasted and experienced the grace of God. And there's also the fact that God calls us into suffering, right? Like we saw that in, in chapter one, in First Peter chapter one, uh, I think somewhere around verse six, uh, he talks about, um, I think it was our third sermon, we, we talked about how when we belong to Christ, then God will use the hard moments of life to refine us. Like a skilled metalsmith, he'll use the furnace to melt away the impurities and the unblemishes to make our souls beautiful. I want you to read the, uh, the next verse. In verse 20, he says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, I know this is kind of a brutal verse, but what he's pointing out here is that sometimes we suffer because we're sinning against others. Now, he's not advocating for getting beaten by the master, but he's saying, look, like some of the, re some of the, the times that, that that's happened, like that you felt like beat up or oppressed, uh, has less to do with with the, your unjust master and more to do with the fact that like it, you were being foolish and you were being sinful in, in, in a way that kind of is almost to say, um, it's, it's almost like Peter saying like, hey, you kind of had it coming, right? <laughs> like he's pointing out here that sometimes we suffer because we're sinning against others. Like we're being rude, we're being judgmental or self-righteous. And then when people don't like that, which is which is a natural response. Like sometimes we, 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 we as Christians, we like to say like, uh, like I'm just being persecuted, right? That's not persecution. That's just, that's just being a jerk. All right. So when you respond with gentleness and respect though, that has the power to win people over. Remember Peter's model from last week. He talks about how we're called to live as ambassadors as hope. And that we're to represent him in every sphere of influence of our lives. It's not just in the moments of ministry uh, that we're serving. It's wherever it is that our sovereign God has placed you. And so maybe consider, where is it that God has placed you? Where is it that God has placed you that you can display the hope of the gospel by the way that you live? Maybe it's a boss who's unfair. They show partiality to everyone else in the office. Or, or maybe it's a neighbor who laughs at your faith and your convictions. Maybe it's just wanting to be accepted more by people around you, but you don't truly fit in with the mold because there's no room for Jesus there. Whatever it is for you, man, Peter says, just rest in Jesus. Whatever it is for you, rest in Jesus and know that his grace is at work in your life. And when you endure through those trials, because you're resting in Jesus, not in anything else, when you endure through that, through those trials, God is at work to help you shed your fears to help you shed your insecurities, to help you shed even your pride and your self-righteousness to where you find yourself finding full satisfaction in Him. And your life just starts to radiate hope so that others demand to know why you're so different than anyone else, even in the middle of a pandemic. That 
Peter says, is a gracious thing. The second thing Peter wants us to know is that Jesus is our example in this calling. Jesus is our example in this calling to suffer. Read verse 21. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And then he says, He committed no sin. Peter's saying, look, if you want to endure through suffering, if you want to embrace that calling, which is a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord, then follow Jesus as your example and notice that he committed no sin. In other words, his suffering does not change the rules. All right? Your suffering does not change the rules. It doesn't suddenly give you permission to do things that God forbids. Right, like my kids do this. One of them uh, will start yelling uh, at their sibling, and I'll hear it from the other room, and I'll say like, "Hey, like, don't yell at your sibling." And then they'll say, "But they were yelling at me first. It's like, no, no, that doesn't work like that, right? Like, just because you were the recipient of suffering doesn't mean that you can now uh, that you can now uh, dish it out, right? Like, if you get fouled on the basketball court and the ref calls you out, you don't get to say, "But I was fouled first right? Like the rules of the game don't change just because you were slighted, just because you suffered. But some of us do that. Some of us, we hold bitterness against the unfair boss, sort of plotting our revenge, how we're going to get back at him. Or maybe we're just kind of like grumpy uh, and, and, and disrespectful with the people around us because we're, 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 we're tired or because we're suffering. Have you ever found yourself just tempted to do things that you know that you shouldn't or say things you know you, you shouldn't say or just have an attitude that you know you shouldn't have, uh, that you know that is wrong, but you excuse it because, because you're like, you know, God knows I'm having a hard time. God knows I'm suffering. Some people know I'm suffering. Like they'll, they'll excuse this. But Peter says, no, it doesn't work that way. Instead, look at Christ, who was our perfect example and who committed no sin. And then he says, neither was deceit found in his mouth. In other words, Jesus never lied his way out of suffering. He never tried to twist the story or, or weasel his way out of a situation in order to, to, to not to have to go through suffering. And then he says in verse 23, when, when, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in turn. Uh, he, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The Bible tells us that Jesus could have called down legions of angels to help him in the hour of his crucifixion, but he didn't. He was unwilling to do that. Why? Why? Because he trusted himself unto the Lord, his God. He trusted himself to the Lord. Look, Jesus was not a deist. You know what a deist is? It's, it, it's somebody who believes in a general higher power, but that that general higher power is just uninvolved. Like they look around and they say, hey, you know, it looks like there's a God who, or, or some supreme being who made this whole thing, but it doesn't look like he's really involved, right? Like he took off. Right or uh, and, and so that's what it that's what a deist is. That's Jesus is not a deist though, and he's also not an, an open theist. 
An open theist is somebody who believes in a God who, who made us and who loves us, but is in, in essentially just powerless to do anything about it, right? An open theist believes that God set things in motion uh, and that he's kind of watching uh, history unravel uh, into uh, any number of, of open possibilities uh, that may or may not happen, and he's just hoping for the best. But Jesus is also not an open theist. Jesus was someone who knew that God is good and powerful and in control and wise and holy and gracious and sovereign and just. Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And that makes all the difference from when we walk through suffering. Do you believe in that same God this morning? Ask yourself that. Do you believe in that same God this morning? The God who is good and powerful and wise and a holy, gracious, wise, sovereign, just. Do you believe in that same God? Now, how is your relationship with injustice and suffering going to change by virtue of your relationship in this God? Is there a connection between what you know of God and what that information, what that knowledge of God does to your heart? Is there a relationship there? Does it actually impact your heart? Does it change the way that you you endure suffering? The way that you look at the world, the way that you look at the hard stuff, even the trials. And now number three, I want you to see here that Jesus suffered to the uttermost so that you wouldn't have to. He suffered to the uttermost so that you wouldn't have to. Verse 24 and 25 say this, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, which is a metaphor for the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Man, I love these verses. I want you to remember that the author who is writing this letter to suffering Christians is a seasoned pastor. He loves them. He, he has his pastoral heart towards them. And with that pastoral heart, after many decades of ministry, he knows that the greatest comfort, the single greatest comfort that he could give a sufferer is for them to turn their eyes on the suffering work of their Savior. You know why? It's because our, our, our deepest struggle, your deepest struggle in suffering is not the suffering in itself, but the reality that our sin is what causes great suffering in our lives and in the world. You see, your greatest problem in life is not your suffering, but your sin. It is the only thing that has the power to truly destroy you and to truly mess up your life to the point of no return. Suffering does not have that power for a Christian. Suffering does not have the power to destroy your life. Suffering does not have the power to mess you up to the point of no return. It doesn't have the power to change, to rob your dignity or to change your identity. You see, apart from the suffering Savior, Jesus Christ, we have no real hope. 
Apart from the good shepherd, which is a nickname for Jesus, we have no real help. That's why Peter reminds them in verse 25, he says, For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, we were all sheep, mindless sheep, just following whatever news channel we like to tune into, following whatever political leanings we naturally lean towards, following whatever social media accounts that we prefer. But Jesus is the good shepherd who keeps his sheep from harm. He draws them near. He keeps them from harm. And so look, when culture goes crazy after each other, when, when the world just feels restless, when you are working your way through trials, listen to the voice of your good shepherd. He is the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. In John 10, Jesus taught these words of hope. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, Jesus is the shepherd who laid down his life, who endured the ultimate suffering in our place for our sins. When he hung on the cross, he is the only one that endured ultimate suffering, enduring the wrath of God on our behalf. He, even though he knew no sin, he committed no sin, he lived that perfect life that we could never live, therefore making him the only uh, viable sacrifice to die the death that we deserve. And he did that. He suffered to that point so that we would not have to suffer for eternity, but so that we could be saved. Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. You see, this world is restless and Jesus is the only hope. If we allow the restlessness of the world to divide us, if we allow the restlessness of the world to, to, to keep us down, if we allow the restlessness of the world to plague our own souls, then the world will have no hope. We'll lose our footing as ambassadors of hope. I love this prayer from Augustine, uh, this African bishop uh, that, that pastored in the early church. He says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. I love that. He says, God, you've made us for yourself, and so our hearts will be restless until we find our rest in you. You see, look, if you belong to Christ and to belong to him, all you have to do is trust him as the one who judges justly. Trust him as the shepherd who laid down his life for you. That's the only, that's the one thing that is so unique about the Christian religion and the Christian worldview is that you don't have to work your way up to, to, to God. You don't have to achieve your way into a heavenly utopia. God came down in your mess to save you. He gave it up. He suffered so that you wouldn't have to for eternity. 
And if you belong to him, if you've trusted in him, if you've considered him your savior, if you've surrendered to him in an act of faith, then no suffering that you will ever walk through will bring you outside the care of this redeemer. Isn't that good news? No suffering that you ever walk through will be outside the care of your Redeemer. You are his sheep and he is your shepherd. Look, if this is true, if Jesus is your good shepherd who draws you near, then you can endure through suffering and you can endure through injustice. And as you do, your life will display the hope that everyone needs and bring glory to God, the one who judges justly. Man, isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That when you endure through suffering in this way, your life will display the hope that everyone needs. Man, by our witness, may more people come to know our good shepherd, to know him, to love him, and to worship him as the one true and holy God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.